All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. If you're looking for an episode of New Tech City, you found it. Except we're now called Note to Self. Same show, just a different name. We hope you like it. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this is WNYC's Note to Self. I feel a little bit crazy. Yeah, but likes are also a big thing. Like, you want likes. The show where you and I search for balance in the digital age. And this is embarrassing to talk about. When I think of the enormity of it all, I just begin to feel helpless. This week, how originality gets judged in a cut-and-paste world. Okay, so imagine, it's exam time, finals, young adults across the nation are cooped up inside writing essays explaining why Holden Caulfield is an unreliable narrator, or contrasting Nick Carraway and Jay Gatsby as archetypal heroes. Thank God most of us don't have to do that anymore, right? I mean, especially because, and I had no idea this was going on, students are evaluated differently these days on their writing. Not only do they have to stress about understanding Daisy Buchanan's various layers, they also have to consider their own originality or lack of it. And they are held up to standards in a way that I absolutely was not in college or high school. And this is all thanks to new technology. My friend and colleague, Note to Self producer Alex Goldmark, is here to help explain. Hi, Manoush. Yeah, so if you're a parent with a kid already in high school, or if you are in high school or college, maybe you've heard some of this. And if not, well, we're going to bring the kids to you. Here's Alex on the scene. Okay, so it's lunchtime on a Friday afternoon near the end of the semester. I'm outside Stuyvesant High School in New York City. It's one of the more prestigious public schools in New York. And there's small clusters of students playing Frisbee and talking about their assignments. And you were the creepy guy watching them (laughs) until you walked over and chatted with them about writing essays. Right. I wanted to ask them about a particular new technology that they use at Stuyvesant, an algorithm that hunts for unoriginal writing. Can I ask you, like, two really easy questions about about turnitin.com? Do you use it in your English class? Sure, why not? Stuyvesant is like one-third of high schools and half of colleges in that they use plagiarism detection software to review student essays. I mean, I think it's probably fair because you shouldn't be plagiarizing other people's work and there's not really another way to check than besides, like, online stuff. Okay, so students upload their papers to a big database online and then the software checks every word and phrase to see if it appears in any other student papers or on websites or anywhere else in the world. I guess, um, you know, teachers really use it just to see if you're using the same essay that someone handed in, like, a year ago. Which totally makes sense, right? Like, if a machine can do it preemptively, then why not let it? Well, funny things can start to happen. 
I've had false positives, but I know I've had situations where I've had like 15% of this is plagiarized and like, no, it wasn't. I wrote this. If you get unlucky and happen to have similar phrasing, especially in science essays and papers, because science phrases, it's hard to be creative if you're just trying to explain a process. And at this school, the program they use is called turnitin.com, and it also checks for unsourced paraphrasing. So if you're just writing what you read in a textbook because you're just regurgitating that information, then Turnitin will probably get like upset and claim that you plagiarized it when you didn't. I mean, we've all done that, right? Alex cut and paste and then, you know, maybe fiddled with the wording, changed it a little bit. But apparently that just does not fly anymore. Not so. Sometimes the teachers let you review, like, what you've probably plagiarized off. And, like, the source is not exactly the right kind of source. It's like, you found this text from a 1973 textbook in page 741. There's always a limited amount of ways to say something exactly the same way, so... So students have mixed feelings about having an algorithm check their work for originality. But I spoke to one of their teachers, Sophie Oberfield, and she's a fan. I like it. I like having it. It's like a vaccine. I don't think about being vaccinated, but it's there. And I don't really think about turning it an awful lot, but I check it. And then it helps, it helps you catch the, like, 0.001%. Sophie's actually an old high school friend of mine. So I felt okay asking her to let me take Turnitin for a little test drive (laughs) and, you know, see if I could beat it. Of course. Right. (laughs) So she signed me up for her European lit class and gave me homework, a short essay on Machiavelli and Montaigne. Got that. And then I was not a model student. Okay. I'm uploading it. I feel kind of nervous here. So now I don't know how long it's going to take it to, to bake and decide. Well, it's perfect, so it should just know right away. The software tells you the percent of my paper that also appears somewhere else on the Internet. Basically, what percent of my paper is potentially plagiarized? Uh, 93. Ooh, I got 7% original. 93%. Do you want to come on over and see, yeah, yeah, let me see. see the teacher view? And you can see here that this is a quotation. So what it's got on the screen now is there's... There's um, a paper. You can see it. It looks like, you know, like a regular Word doc, except there's highlighting all over it. Right. My paper is basically all highlighted, Manoush, because I copied pretty much everything from Mm. two encyclopedias. Naughty, naughty. But I did make up a trite last line that I thought sounded copied, but that didn't get flagged. 55% of the document uh, is from allhistory.org. I click over here, and it shows me... The page, and it takes me right there to the words where you got them. But I didn't get it from there. Okay, let's wait. Let's go back. One of those. Oh, all of these other places. Yeah, I got Britannica.com, yeah, Universalium.academic.ru. Is that Russia? So there's a whole lot of other people who are copying this everyhistory.org, allart.org. I was so busted. And it is so overwhelming to see how much is copied from site to site. I mean, all these sites are totally just ripping each other off. And I thought, I've, you know, I've thought that before when I've Googled stuff that like, I'm like, wait a minute, they're using the exact same language, but you just showed me why. Yeah. And we couldn't even tell which one was actually the original, which is actually kind of beside the point because it was clear that my student paper was not original. I'm not even close to the only student who snatched that exact biographical sketch of Machiavelli. (laughs) 
so depressing, actually. I know. There were links of dozens of other students whose papers also popped up right there on the screen that turned it in at other schools. So Alex went too far with cutting and pasting, and the software was very, very good at catching him. It's also good at catching thousands of other lazy student writers out there. And programs like this, they are becoming the norm. Students today, they just expect that a computer program will be part of keeping them honest. It's pretty much a categorical shift in how we evaluate written work. Even though Turnitin, the company, they say that they're just checking for similarity, not plagiarism per se. There isn't a way. Uh, for technology to be able to, on its own, uh, uncover whether content is plagiarized or not. Okay, so this is Justin Chu. He's the head of education at Turnitin.com. He doesn't think that most students are being purposefully devious. They have a tendency to, to paraphrase content as a way to learn and inadvertently plagiarize. A student can ask a teacher for their similarity score. That's what Turnitin calls it. And then he can fiddle with the paper until the score comes down. By rewording things or putting in some footnotes. And turn it in and software like it just also makes students realize the growing futility of copying from the internet at all. So we have archived as well as current internet content uh, on the order of 51 billion pages and growing. Uh, The student paper database has on the order of 400 million student papers and that grows also on a daily basis. You get the idea, yeah. yeah. A student today hands in their paper knowing it is going to be compared to the world's largest stack of book reports by a super smart, unfeeling computer trained to root out unoriginality. But here's the thing, Alex. Like, sometimes it's hard to tell. I mean, is it lazy paraphrasing or is it just combining ideas in a new way and learning to think? It's the, some would say, blurred line of academic integrity in a mashup remix world. I like where you're going. Oh, yeah. Footnote. I am making a Robin Thicke analogy. Okay, (laughs) remember, he and Pharrell Williams, they were fined millions of dollars because their song just sounded too much like Marvin Gaye's Gotta Give It Up. It's kind of catchy. They claimed that they were just inspired by that awesome 70s song, that they did not copy it. Okay, bringing it back here. In the case of academics, the professor is the sole judge. So the computer, the Turnitin algorithm, it just presents the case. Just saying, hey, teacher, take a look at this paper. And while you're at it, in this other window over here, just see what you think about this sentence or two on Othello's inner conflict that's also from the Paris Review back in 2009. But see, that could be totally unfair. Like, that makes me sad because I can totally imagine plagiarizing something without meaning to. And in fact, like, I really do remember a time where I thought I had come up with this brilliant theory about why Chaucer used a particular oldie English word. And then semesters later, I read something similar in an English literature theory book. I mean, I know, right? So I thought, no, I thought I had come up with it. But there's so much information out there in the world. I mean, how many new ideas are actually left out there? 
Yeah, I know. I mean, all new tech, right, it comes with some kind of collateral damage. And here, I got to say, I do just wonder if it's that it's just so, so much harder to have that quintessential adolescent experience of feeling like you figured out something huge about the world, some great new idea or an eternal truth about love or time, and that you did it first and on your own. Yeah, and you were saying like how cocky you felt when you were reading a book and you were like, oh, see, this is an archetypal trope. Let me tell you what it's all about. I did get that feeling, yeah. And you didn't think that probably thousands of millions of people had done it before you. It's like that wonderment is totally empowering. It's what makes you grow, right? Well, something different might have to start doing that. I talked with over a dozen students at different schools and these schools that all use plagiarism detection databases. And they just kind of accepted that they're just really unlikely to have an original idea, (laughs) like a truly original idea, at least about the Great Gatsby or all of these texts. Okay, so wait, what is that? A thousand monkeys... At a thousand typewriters will eventually peck out the greatest novel ever written, right? We're waiting for it, yeah. Well, hundreds of millions of students submitting billions of papers online. What do we get then, Alex? What do we get then? In a minute, I'm going to talk about what it takes to get original work out of students that even the algorithms haven't seen before. Okay, so before Alex does that, a quick update on our show last week. We tested out an email service called Crystal that runs personality tests on you and your email recipient and then helps you communicate better, kind of like an email coach. So listener Meg Dalton in Stamford, Connecticut, ran Crystal on herself and thought that actually Crystal was pretty accurate, including the part that said that Meg is usually late. I don't think this will change the way I interact with people, but who knows? Note to self, be more punctual. Other listeners were more disturbed by the service, which scrapes the internet for anything about you to create your personality profile. Author and listener John Havens had a stark comparison for letting our personal information loose online with no control over how it gets used. My dad used to be a psychiatrist, and the term for when there's multiple voices speaking at you or about you where you're not really sure if they're there That is called schizophrenia. That's the issue at hand. John wants us to do more shows on what our options are for controlling data. Absolutely, John. We are going to do that. It is important stuff. If you've got a question or an idea for an episode, record an audio message with your smartphone and email it to us at note2self at wnyc.org. Note to Self, the show formerly known as New Texany. Feeling good about the new name? <laughs> I am, actually. I mean, it's a little weird saying that, Note to Self. Um, but I think it is doing the job that we want it to do. Talking about human beings not putting the tech first, even though the tech is very important to all of it. I mean, you know, you were there for the process, Alex. It's hard to find an original name. Like, most words <laughs> in the English really language seem to be trademarked, as far as I can tell. Which is an amazing segue back to me and the question of originality and plagiarism. Oh, my God. It's like we planned it. You might even think there's a script here. Yeah. So, Manoush, these days you have to go to extraordinary lengths to plagiarize something, right? That's what we're talking about. All right. Teach us, Alex. So let's meet Jack Howard. He is a journalism major at the University of Missouri. And on the side, he's a writing tutor to other students. 
I help a lot of um, students who don't speak English as their first language. So it's like international students. And sometimes when they hand in a draft of an essay to him, he just knows that they copied part of it, mm. like, like knows in his gut. Because normally this is what happens. He would stick the suspect passages into Google and see where else they turn up and then talk about it with the student. But over and over again, this wasn't working with the international students. Still, he just knew that it wasn't their own writing. Mm, intrigue. Okay, because here is what I find this so interesting. Here is what <laughs> these kids were doing. So essentially, if you just like throw it through a translator a couple times, you could like garble it up so I couldn't figure it out. Let's say they were writing about intellectual property. They would Google in Korean or whatever what is intellectual property, and they would learn something about it from some website, and then they would translate that back, and there's no way... I can figure out it's from a Korean website unless I just explicitly ask them. The double translation technique. Oh, I love it. It's just about the only reliable scheme left to plagiarize from the internet and get away with it. That or you could pay someone else to write your paper for you. That still exists. Okay. So, Alex, let's, I mean, let's just say that I want to be a good student. I just want to follow the rules. And I just want to do the best I can. I don't want to use the double translation technique. I don't want to pay someone. What's a hardworking student to do? Well, this is Thomas D. I'm a professor at Stanford University's Graduate School of Education. And Thomas D. has done one of the few academic studies on academic dishonesty. He's tracking just how frequently students cheat and how to stop it. It's my sense that most of them don't want to commit fraud. But we're in this situation where they're committing what, what my co-author and I refer to as rational ignorance. They're used to cutting and pasting because it's easy. It's tempting. And in so, so many cases, no one has taught students how to properly cite, paraphrase, and use attributions. In many ways, teaching about plagiarism, teaching about ethical writing is kind of an orphaned curriculum. So Dee's study was to do something kind of obvious and then measure it. He worked with a university, which shall remain nameless, to offer an online tutorial on how not to plagiarize, like how to take notes about where you found a quote so that you can use it later. And it also provided them with other kinds of insights into what plagiarism is, why it's problematic, and other strategies for avoiding it, such as um, not procrastinating uh, on their writing. I mean, basic Totally obvious stuff here. Teaching students the old-fashioned way to give credit in an academic paper, it worked. It got fewer kids to plagiarize. And so, sure, all the tech cat and mouse stuff, it's useful as a deterrent, but so is just defining plagiarism in a web tutorial for students. Okay, now, Alex, I want to go back to Sophie, your friend who's now a teacher from the beginning of the show. The web tutorial stuff is nice, but actually Sophie has an alternative method that I like even more. I feel like it's my job mainly to create assignments that are not easy to plagiarize. So she and her colleagues dedicate some serious brain power to coming up with assignments where there's just no way that a Google search could help them. <laughs> I have a, a, an assignment, a great one that my, a colleague of mine, Emily Moore, made up, um, which is after reading Othello, uh, that they have to prove a thesis that is impossible or wrong. So um, I had a student last year who wrote uh, an essay about how uh, Othello is actually a whale. Someone in another class wrote about 
Iago really wants to be a golfer. And they're going to use the words, they're going to twist the words, they're going to use it to prove something that is actually wrong, impossible, false. Ugh, I love that. Iago wants to be a golfer. I mean, how the heck do you start writing a paper about that? Sophie's assignments, they are totally weird, but they're not just about stopping plagiarism. They are about teaching creativity and logic and building an argument. I think that will teach them something. It won't teach them something true about the play. But it will teach them about critical exposition. Right. And how to form an argument. Yeah. And how to cite or quote from... Right, which I think is, I mean, better than writing another essay about Othello, the tragic hero. Because there are literally thousands of essays about Othello, the tragic hero, online that you could peek at if you just needed a little inspiration for your own essay. And also, what are the chances of them saying anything new about how Othello should have trusted his heart and Desdemona, which I just learned how to write about from four minutes of Googling and cutting and pasting right now? I mean, look, that that is a skill, right? Googling. Right. And it was the approach that I took in my little test run as a student in Sophie's class. This is the paper that I wrote, in quotes, on Machiavelli and Montaigne. I mean, you mean you cheated. Listen. This is some good stuff. This is a good paper, by the way. Oh, good. You better give me an A. We'll see. Your paper, I mean, it's late. (laughs) So my paper I turned in, it amounted to... You're laughing really hard at my work, no, Manoush. I'm sorry. No. Look, it was three paragraphs. One that I cut and pasted on Machiavelli, one that I cut and pasted about Montaigne, and one that I wrote all by myself. It ended up 93% of the essay turned it in flagged as unoriginal. Your original words that keep you from the 100 perfect score are, and they were friends forever and lived happily ever after, which apparently exists nowhere on the internet in that form. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait a minute. Seriously, that line, they were friends forever and all lived happily ever after, that is not online anywhere? That is original? Straight from my brain, first time ever, I went and Googled it just now with quotes around it, zero results, Manoush. You heard it here first, folks, right? All right, so I guess there is still hope for original phrasing out there, even if it is completely trite and silly. Sorry, Alex. I got the touch. (laughs) All right. Alex, thanks for this. Thanks for being here. It's been fun. I know. I feel like I learned a lot, actually, how tough it is to be a student in this day and age. Um, I already knew how hard it was to have an original thought, but we're going to keep trying here on Note to Self. Original thoughts. Meanwhile, listeners, I got to apologize. I totally lied to you last week. It was not on purpose. I told you that this episode that you just listened to would be a joint production with Radiolab on surveillance. Well, the good news is that we've had an interesting development in our story. So that show is coming in a couple weeks. It is juicy, and we want to get it just right. I like to keep you on your toes. If you're not subscribed to Note to Self, take two seconds, do it right now, and please tell your friends to do it too. Let's grow this little community together. And speaking of growing it, big news, we have a new Twitter handle, at Note to Self. If you've been following at New Tech City, no worries. You're now just following us at Note to Self. Technology's crazy like that. And if you're not following us, hey, now, right now, great time to start. You can also just search for Note to Self Radio on Facebook. Come and say hi. The Note to Self team is Alex Goldmark, Ariana Tobin, and Andrew Dunn. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and I'll talk to you next week.
Um, can we ask, like, what this is sure, for? you absolutely can. I'm a reporter at the radio station WNYC here yes, in New York. Yes, NPR. Sorry. All right. <laughs>